I remember one um, leader pulling me aside afterwards after presenting and he was like, basically said something to the effect of like, I'm shocked you could do that. You know, I'm shocked you could like speak and be eloquent or get the message across because you're so young, you know, and, and it only encouraged me and that imposter part of me that like I'm here by a fluke. You know, I got invited to this party by accident, you know, and I'm just so lucky to be here. Yeah. It almost like encouraged me to be that like gray suit wearing watered down Selena. Because people were saying things like, um, make sure you tell the client you were born here, you know, because my name is different or, you know, and you get enough of those messages. You know this, you, you are so good at putting a spotlight on this problem. You, you get enough advice, like don't wear hoops, you know, cut your long hair you start to be like, I must be pretty messed up, <laughs> you know? It's not very hard to start thinking, I, I, wow, to get all this correcting, I must be pretty flawed, just like who I am. Mi gente, dímelo, 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 que lo que, what's up? Welcome to another episode of the Quien Tu Eres podcast brought to you by Plural. You already know it's your boy Pavel, bringing you another special episode with another very special guest. Our mission is to redefine professionalism. So every week we have a new guest join us for a very candid conversation around the conflict that they have experienced between professionalism and authenticity. Speaking of guests, this week on the podcast, we have Selena Resvani. She's also the person you heard in the intro. Before getting into the full conversation, let me give you a quick bio on Selena so you have more context going into the episode. So Selena is an award-winning author of two books and an expert on leadership and self-advocacy. She consults with leading organizations such as Microsoft, J&J, the World Bank, and many others. Her TEDx talk on gender bias? was recognized with a Crowley Journalism Award. She wrote an award-winning column on women in leadership for the Washington Post, and she served as a commenter on NPR's nationally syndicated The 51% Perspective. Today, she continues to be a regular contributor to NBC News, Know Your Value. I'll leave some additional links in the show notes that I highly recommend you visiting, including her website and her social media accounts, including TikTok and Instagram. On TikTok and Instagram in particular is actually how I found her. She gives so many valuable tips specifically on the quote unquote soft skills that our community often lacks because we're not taught them. We're often only taught the quote unquote hard skills to get the job. But I really think that the soft skills that Selena is teaching her community is how you stay in the job and thrive there. Now that you know a little bit more about Selena, let's get into the episode. So let's get started where we always start with the trending word, authenticity. You probably hear it so often, but what does it mean to you? When you hear it you know for me it's not been easy to get to authenticity you know it's been a long jagged kind of road in my professional career and so what it looks like is using language that you naturally want to use you know to express yourself it looks like bringing the color which you see behind me or what, what i like to wear in my clothes i really love bright colors to express myself that way, to not feel that I'm constantly filtering or 
conforming, you know, to these subtle, sometimes unspoken hints about how to be, how to get ahead here, and sometimes spoken. I've had plenty of people tell me, you know, outright advice in my career that would squash down anyone's authenticity, you know? So I think it, it, when you have it, you feel it. You feel it in what you wear, how you speak, you know, showing those quirky kind of weird, strange sides of yourself, you know, like your cockeyed sense of humor or your silliness. <laughs> it's all that. I love that. Yeah. I mean, and a lot of that resonates with me, especially the, the suppression, but I love the fact that you mentioned it was like a long road. Let's start from the beginning. Talk about a little bit about where you grew up and was it easy growing up being yourself? Yeah, I'm glad we get to go back there because I don't get to think about it that much. I, I joke with people that I grew up in Ukrainistan, Adelphia, because my mom is Ukrainian. She was born in the U.S., Caucasian. My dad is a Pakistani immigrant. And naturally, they raised us in Philly. <laughs> so I'm, you know, at this cross section of different cultures. Um, my name is Selena. And so a lot of people you know, think I'm from a different place in the world too, you know? So there's that kind of crossover part. People just start talking to you in Spanish probably. Yeah. Or sometimes Greek or Italian, you know, you never know. And, you know, you have this, like, I felt like I had all these wonderful benefits to grow up in a multi-racial, multi-ethnic family with a very dark father, a very light mom, and all these cultural clashes that were interesting and amazing. And I also struggled with it. You know, any person with mixed heritage, you know, or mixed race will tell you like, it's, you know, you fill out that little, what's your race checkbox on the, you know, your SATs or whatever form you're filling out. And you're like, uh, what am I? you're constantly asking that question, at least I did, what, what am I? Am I this? Am I that? I'm other, you know, I'm, I'm not all that. <laughs> I'm not all white. I'm not all, you know, brown or, or Pakistani. And, and that was a struggle, you know, for sure. And I brought a lot of that, I think, into the adult work world. You know, I started my career in management consulting and here we were advising leadership teams on how to, you know, make employees happier, you know, talent management. Yeah. And most of those leadership teams were white dudes of a certain age, you know, like 50s plus. I wasn't that. I'm, you know, I was 5'2", tan skin, a woman, young. I was the opposite in every way of them. But I was kind of serving up to people, you know, Bob Jones from the Midwest, white guy stuff. I was copying their way, you know? And that's a terrible feeling. And, yeah. and it, it feels terrible to give people the diet Sprite version of you. And nobody wins by the way, cause you know, they don't get anything memorable from you and you don't get to bring your best ideas, you know and express your full self. So that was a tough uh, like awakening you know, and I realized, wait a minute, maybe this is a conversation I can facilitate, you know, between employees who want to bring their best to work and have healthy conditions to do that, you know, and, and leaders who want to, you know, create like respectful, equitable workplaces. 
So that that really drew me to where I am today and what I do. That's a tough job to start in. Management consulting, I mean, one, it's competitive as hell to get into. Mm -hmm. Um, It's also very traditional, I would say, in the way that people show up to work. And also, it's tough because you're fairly young compared to the people that you're consulting I mean, in mm-hmm. some way or another, you're telling them that they <laughs> that they can run their business more efficiently <laughs> and more effectively. Yeah. And they're like, why should I be listening to you? Right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, was and it intimidating it, when you started? Oh, for sure. I think if you have any part of imposter syndrome, which I certainly did and, and struggle with, it has been a big theme in my life. It feels like their skeptical looks just confirm that that imposter voice is right you know in those moments where they I remember one um leader pulling me aside afterwards after presenting and he was like basically said something to the effect of like I'm shocked you could do that you know I'm shocked you could like speak and be eloquent or get the message across because you're so young you know And, and it only encouraged me And that imposter part of me that like, I'm here by a fluke, you know, I got invited to this party by accident, you know, and I'm just so lucky to be here. It almost like encouraged me to be that like gray suit wearing watered down Selena because people were saying things like, um, make sure you tell the client you were born here, you know, because my name is different or and you get enough of those messages. You know this. You you are so good at putting a spotlight on this problem. You you get enough advice like don't wear hoops, you know, cut your long hair. You start to be like, I must be pretty messed up, <laughs> you know. It's not very hard to start thinking, I'm I, wow to get all this correcting. I must be pretty flawed, just like who I am. I cannot believe they told you those things. It's in, like, how did you take that feedback? Because I think there's like two sides to it. On one side, you can say, because you're already in some ways putting these people, this opportunity on a pedestal and saying like, I'm so lucky to be here, right? And you could either say, you know what? Yeah, I want to advance in my career. This is my like first job. I'm just starting. Let me not wear hoops. Let me cut my hair. Let me do this, this, and that. Let me wear the gray versus the red and the yellow. Or you cannot do that. What did you do? I think at first, I'd love to tell you a different answer, but the honest truth was I did conform. You know, I think I very much kind of, even at lunches, you know, and like social moments, like a working lunch or a happy hour, I think my humor was their humor. You know, I, I very much assimilated. And I don't know if anything about that has to do with watching my father assimilate to this country. His name was Noor, N-O-O-R, but he changed it in American business to Nick, you know, so people could say it. I mean, not like Noor is hard. <laughs> That's the crazy thing. I didn't think twice about that when I was little. You know, I just like saw my dad do that. He did it, you know, um, kind of checked some of his culture at the door. And so, you know, I think in some ways assimilating felt like the thing to do if I wanted to advance. Yeah. And I did, I had a lot of ambition, you know, so I did want to advance and it felt like somehow like the price of admission. Yeah. Did you, I'm, I'm so curious. Did you and your dad ever talk about that? No, no. He passed away when I was 13 and 
that, you know, is its own whole, um, I think, you know, process of um, kind of like not applying everything I had learned from him in the time he was here to like all men I would work with in the future because he had one distinct experience, right? He was an immigrant. He was a businessman. Yes. But I, I would love to like, yeah. I would love to have that conversation and be like, what was that like? Because he didn't even talk about it. You know, I said the price of admission, I think for him, it really felt like the price of admission because here he is with like chocolate brown skin walking around with my white mom. And I remember people's eyeballs just, you know, in the supermarket, like going from her to him to us, my siblings and I like doing the math in their head. And he had to be used to that. Yeah. I, cause I, only reason I'm asking is because I, my grandfather and he, he's not um, alive anymore, but at the time he would tell me like, do you see presidents and CEOs with beards, with tattoos, with all these things? Um, no. So he would expect me to act and dress accordingly. Right. So mm-hmm. in some ways, even before I got into corporate, I was like trained to assimilate, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. But in many ways, the representation that he was telling me were like white men, you know what I mean? Totally. And I, and I wish at the time I had representation to be like, yeah, but do you see this person? They're doing fine. Oh do yeah. You rem- in, in those corporate experiences, like, do you remember seeing people that you were just like, oh my God, I wish I could be more like them. Or did you see everyone just assimilate like as much as you were? No, I don't think everyone assimilated the same. Uh, I remember getting really excited if I saw a woman leader and just seeing a woman leader. Yes. Just seeing a woman leader 9.9 times out of 10, she was white and she was in HR or the CAO or something like that, you know, but the sad part is I found like some of those women, especially early in my career were scary and had like kind of formed a crust on themselves to navigate the world they were in, you know? And, and that, was, that was upsetting in its own way. Not all women, but there were enough women that kind of had battle scars from whatever they came up in, you know? You know, they weren't necessarily here to like be your friend and, and hold your hand. And I think that was also like, whoa, you know, like reality bites, maybe this isn't all, you know, a picnic. If you do achieve leadership as a woman, like maybe it's not all peaches and cream because like, look at how some of these women don't seem to be able to kind of bring their full selves, their style, their natural gifts and talents. Like, you know, people are looking pretty conforming around here. I remember in consulting one woman um, being kind of warm and accessible. And she's to this day is exceptional to me and stands out as like, one of these things is not like the others. <laughs> you know, like she, she, she was herself and it was so refreshing. And you know what? It like gave other people permission to be yeah. themselves. You know, she wasn't an alpha dominator, you know, taking over the meeting, telling you how it is. She was more consultative and like friendly. And um, 
she was so effective, you know? So I wish there were more of her and, and yeah, not, not many women of color examples. That's for sure. So what happened in that, in that meeting? Were you inspired to be like, Ooh, maybe I should start bringing certain parts of me into the office. Like what was the, what was the effect and what happened after that meeting? Well, for me, the effect was I, I thought to myself, I want to get an MBA. I had a background in social work and I liked all the skills of social work, but I thought I need to speak the language of some of my clients better. You know, they speak business and I would like to be fluent in that also. And I got an MBA and in that program, you could direct some of your own research. And I knew just what I wanted to do. I was like, I want to study these rare unicorns, these women leaders who've made it to the top. There's only one problem. I don't know a single one and I have no connections, you know, to connections to them either. And uh, my one female professor in business school, she said, I'll approve your research topic on one condition, Selena. She said, you have to go after the whales. You have to go after the women you think will say no and won't even entertain five minutes with you. And she's like, do that and I'll say, all right. And I did. I never would have without her. And those women said yes. So many of them said yes. Like, Give me um, a few. Before Selena answers that question, let's take a quick break and hear from our sponsor. COVID-19 moves fast, and now you can too. If you feel symptoms, even if they're mild, you should test fast. Test positive and at high risk for severe COVID-19? Then act fast with authorized oral treatments that can be taken at home and must be taken within five days from when symptoms begin. COVID-19 moves fast, and now you can too by asking your healthcare provider if an oral treatment is right for you. Learn about a treatment option at TreatCV19.com. This message is sponsored by Pfizer. Um, a president at UPS, um, CEO of Charles Schwab, uh, CEO of the Washington Post, chief strategy officer at Campbell Soup. Women I so look up to and uh, here I was, you know, spending hours with them about like their hardest one lessons learned. Mm -hmm. and, and so some of seeing a successful, you know, likable uh, woman being her full self at work, it made me want to seek out more knowledge and more women. And those interviews changed my life and they became a book. I pitched that research to a publisher and it became a business and it became a second book and really a life, you know, and a mission to help women and underrepresented folks carve their own path to leadership on their terms. That's so important. I love that. I mean, obviously, besides the financial and the businesses that, that came out of them, like, what lessons did you learn? Like, what did you take away from that? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Uh, I remember after one, um, one particular interview, preparing like my, my argument for a raise. I was working full-time in a job and I felt I was underpaid for the value I was bringing and uh, took the time, you know, made the proposal and like did the homework and got that raise from those interviews. That was just a real like immediate thing that opened my eyes. Um, one of the people I got to interview, uh, Naomi Earp was the commissioner of the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. 
and she she's the one she's the interview that just like ooh, opened my eyes um you know learning lessons like if you don't like the terms now you're only gonna hate them later you know i remember taking a job little lower pay than i felt comfortable with and i i negotiated i said i'd like more like this fair number and they said uh we can't we can't budge and i kind of told myself um the people seem nice you know the culture seems pretty good the benefits are right i don't really feel like interviewing a lot of other places i'll just take it you know and it's like when you go against your better judgment and that like twitch you know in your solar plexus it's mm -hmm. like something's mm -hmm. not right here this is not fair this is not okay it, it feels awful and, and trusting that part of yourself in your career, you know, and in your life, like something's not right here. Like at a minimum, let me buy some more time to think about it and consider it. That was huge. And so many amazing lessons, you know, they taught me about just uh, advocating for yourself at work, you know, yeah. little things like, uh, you know, preempting other people's objections, you know, that it feels like counterintuitive, you know, when you're pitching a new idea and you're like, we should really do this and, and launch this new thing, you know, to think of really obvious boilerplate like objections. Why this? Why now? Why you? Why spend money on this? You know, and, and to like raise those yourself in, in the course of making your pitch, like just so many leadership behaviors, you know, I had never seen or heard because to be honest with you, so much of what I did grow up with was like, wait your turn. Yeah. You know, speak when spoken to, mm -hmm. um, take just enough, not more. Um, and sometimes those are like in real contrast and kind of contradict what you need to do to be a leader sometimes, you know? Yeah. Sometimes you you got to speak when you're not spoken to and say yeah. the hard thing, the unpopular thing. I'm, I'm so curious too, like what, because there must have been like, here you are finally seeing the representation that you've been craving for your entire life. And you're not only seeing it, but you're meeting with them. You're getting this like firsthand knowledge and from all these wonderful women leaders and then it's finally finally giving you the confidence to, to be a little bit more of yourself, to bring that out to, um, and not only aesthetically, right, visually, which we'll mm -hmm. get into, but you're being able to like speak your mind and, and speak up for, for what you believe in. I'm curious, though, there had to be a little bit of anxiety around, oh my God, am I going to get in trouble if I do this? Am I going to get fired if I do this? Like, what was that fear that you had to almost like let go of before going into this? Talk about imposter syndrome. Am I good enough to sit across the table from you? You know, mm. fill in the blank, whoever you are, CEO, in some cases with your corporate communications department yeah. in the room, like talk yeah, about yeah. intimidating. And I'm like little old me sitting there with my little like notebook, <laughs> you know? I, I, it brought it out, but you know what the lesson there was, I, I actually just made a video about this on TikTok because it's meaningful to me. And it was about how to be more confident talking to executives. And what I learned was they are people. Yeah. 
they squirm at some of the same things you and I squirm about. You know, if someone asked you to like talk yourself up or talk about all the things you're proud of yourself about, like that might be hard for you or me, right? And they were like that too. And I asked them about like, what are you most proud of? What do you want your legacy to be? Um, you know, what's the thing you want to be known for? Um, you know, sometimes deflecting praise. Or, you know, sometimes I talk to them about what would you recommend to an up and comer who wants to learn from people like you. And they were often like, people don't come to me much. They, they could more is what they were saying for meetings and career advice. But like people are, um, you know, think I won't give them a meeting or career advice or a coffee. Uh, so I think if anything, it demystified after these interviews, like you are people. Yeah. Very successful, you know, admirable people. But the one other mistaken thought I had about them was like, you must have had this golden path. You know, like I bet you were identified in like fourth grade on the playground as like a leader, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like you're like head of Girl Scouts and like, you know, the firstborn in your family and like president of the debate team or something. And that wasn't true. So many of them, I remember one in particular was like, you know, I'm not the world's greatest CFO. It's not that I'm the fiercest finance mind on the planet. She was like, I am more tenacious than most. I am not afraid to go back five more times and say, how about now? How about under these circumstances? How about um, we look at this again? And I was like, wow, talk about, you know, a career made by self-advocacy. That's what so many of them said. That's amazing. I, I love that point about we're all human. I feel like we forget all of that because we put so many people on pedestals because of their title, where they went to school, yeah. their experience, how much money they make. Um, and we often, like my therapist said this to me one time, is like we often, or we never compare down. We always compare up, right? So even if you have, I don't know, I'm just making this up, like 5,000 followers on Instagram, we're always going to say, well, someone has... 20,000 followers. We never look at someone that has a thousand followers and say like they would kill to be where we are. Yeah. Oh, you know? totally. You're right. And, and if you already struggle, that can be crazy making, you know, you really can drive yourself crazy comparing up like you and your wise therapists say like, and, and that's why I think it could be a kind of dangerous place, you know, and, and why there's so much popularity around people saying like, stop comparing yourself to others and compare yourself to where you were yesterday. Because at the end of the day, I think that is more meaningful and more of something, you know, focus on what you can control. You can't control that influencer, right? With 20K followers, you can control what you do, you know, and I find that empowering. Yeah, same. So speaking of empowering and controlling, like one thing that you do have full control over is how you present yourself to the world, um, just visually, right? And we spoke a little bit about you know, back when you were in management consulting, they would literally tell you to how to dress, how to maybe even do your makeup or do your hair or the jewelry that you wore. Like, when did you start bringing some of those pieces of yourself and the colors and the representation into the world and feel more comfortable doing that? Um, I, I can't believe <laughs> it took this long. But I would say if I'm really being so honest about it, it, I feel like I came into my own like five years ago. 
maybe really? in more much more recent times with that. I don't wear blazers. I can't even picture wearing one unless maybe it's like a neon color. That's fun. You know what I mean? But like, I just, and I'm not dissing anyone who wears them or likes wearing them. Like, do you, you know, that's part of this conversation is do you, but there was something like closeting, like, like a straight jacket about wearing that, 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 you know what I mean? I couldn't stand And yet, even when I went off on my own and I left corporate America and made my living public speaking, I was still wearing a navy blue suit with pearls at like, just because that felt like the right thing that felt uh, I was typecasting myself, but this is what a speaker looks like. And I think it made me feel a little smarter at the time. Like I belonged, like I look like a speaker. today that's not yeah that's not the speaker I want to look like I wear like a bright yellow dress because part of what I'm trying to impart on people is to bring their bold undiluted selves and it feels good in in delivering that message to be like bright as I want to be you know yeah and and back in the day it was literally people telling you but now like when you started doing speaking engagements, it's not like someone told you like, hey, this is the dress code for this, but you've been probably trained oh, to believe yeah. that that was it for so long. What about the first time you didn't do that? Like, do you remember that experience of like, oh my God, what are they going to think? They're, they're going to light up the comment section and say, what is she wearing? Like, did you have yes. those thoughts? Like, tell me oh, about yeah. that thought process. Sure. I can even like tell you what I was wearing because I remember it. And it was real high stakes, 500 plus senior women in tech in a room. And I was co-presenting about an hour and um, 15 minutes. So real interactive. Uh Uh-huh. Yep. Pre-COVID, right pre-COVID times. And um, uh, I wore like just magenta pink heels. Uh, I had bare arms. That's something I had never done. Like, so femininity is part of this conversation, right? It's not just being so colorful. They can see you from space. It's like also (laughs) being myself, like allowing my body to not be in this blazer head to toe, right? Wearing heels. I like wearing heels. I like wearing hoops. I wear them every chance I get. And like, that's what I wore that day with a dress. And I felt great. I still remember someone taking a picture of us presenters and like feeling more pride and more like, um, like, yeah, that's me. That's me. That's not like this avatar, like looking thing of me. And it felt, felt really good. Bright lipstick. That's who I am. And it feels great. As much as I said, it feels horrible to be the diet sprite version of you. It feels great to be the open, like I said, full Technicolor version. I, I love that. And I'm curious because now visually, right? Like I'm imagining you on some stage and on some level you're being seen by, you're not only presenting, but you're being seen by all of these women, right? How many people were like, I love your heels. I love your this. I love your that. Like, what sort of acknowledgement did you receive around like, oh shit, like I'm being the representation that I wish I had when I was younger. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I I remember one or two at that conference, but I remember even more since then, 
you know, amping up my color, wearing bright blue and yellow and people, you know, commenting like, I love your heels or um, I love what you're wearing, you know, your dress and, and it feels good. Look, at the same time, I realize it's not everyone's cup of tea. You know, there's other people are going to be like, you should look more professional, our favorite word. Um, and, and that's fine too, because I'm not going to change what I do, you know, it's right for me. And so I kind of go in with the expectation. Some women may relate and appreciate this. Some may not, but this is what I need to do to bring my best. And, you know, after a, a lot of years of covering up and, and covering, playing down my identity, I, it's too important today, you know, to, to go back to that. I, I do it for me first. And, and I love that this conversation when we talk about authenticity, it goes beyond just aesthetics and the visuals, right? It's, it's about like speaking your mind and feeling the confidence to, to bring all parts of it um, yes. wherever we go. But as you look forward, you know, to close out the conversation, what's one thing that continues to inspire and empower you to continue being your most authentic self? Well, you and your channel, I'm serious. Your content is so important and you have a way of putting, you know, a spotlight on issues that have gone really untalked about and unspoken and unexplored. And so I want to thank you for the work you're doing. Seriously, so important. And I'm also excited about some of the shifts people are making like around intersectionality. Um, one of my friends just wrote a book, Ruchika Tulshian, um, that's so important. And one of the arguments she makes is if you center women of color in your workplace initiatives, you know, when you center the most marginalized groups, you know, who have the most kind of factors um, diminishing their everyday experience, you kind of raise all boats for all workers. And I'm very excited about that idea of looking at things with that intersectional lens and seeing more people, you know, center women of color. I think it's so promising and I'm really hopeful about that. Mi gente, that wraps up this week's episode of the Quintuetas podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please do us a favor, leave us a rating and a review. It just helps us in the algorithm to ensure that these stories get heard by as many people as possible. Scaling these stories and experiences is the only way that we're going to redefine professionalism. Thank you and see you next week.